we were in our first year of marriage, and we were living in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, first time Susan, I think, had been out that way, and uh, it was really, it, I mean, it was hard. First, we were first year of marriage, and it was a new place to live, uh, new job, uh, new marriage, new culture, uh, new friends, new church. So you can just imagine there was just these stressors that were coming upon us that we didn't even really know about and, and really know how to configure, how to work them through. And, and I don't remember what it was and what started the argument between us, but it was getting loud. And it was, and we, neither one of us were really um, trying to find each other's points. We were just trying to get across our point. And, and so the argument just kept going and going. And we were in this small apartment, and I'm sure... My, my mentor and boss next door could have probably heard, but it was just just this frustration and this anger. And I don't remember, you know, have you ever had it where you got so angry and you could just kind of feel it kind of coming up and you're just like, oh, this is getting so frustrating. This is just getting so maddening. And I remember Susan was in the bathroom and I'm in, we just, it was a two bedroom, one uh, bathroom apartment. I'm standing in this hallway going to the apartment and I just feel this coming up with me and all of a sudden just this anger and I'm just like sitting there go, enough! And I put my, and I put my fist through the drywall and I'm, and I'm just shaking like this and I just felt so out of control, you know, and the first thing that I thought was, thank God I didn't hit a two by four, but you know, I, I, my hand is in there and I look at Susan and Susan is like, what in the world are you doing? Who did I marry? This is our first year of marriage. I'd never experienced this. I saw the fear in her eyes, and I just took my hand out of the wall. I ran back to our spare bedroom, and I grabbed the carpet, and, and I'm just, and I grab onto it. And I remember being so ashamed and so just embarrassed and just like, God, what is going on in me? What, what is happening? Why, why is this happening? And I've never experienced this before. I've never been to someone, been with someone close enough that knew me well enough that, that we'd be in this. And I'm, I'm just grabbing onto it. And I felt a tremendous amount of shame because we're on staff with a mission organization crew. And we have people, churches, and individuals who are supporting us. And I'm thinking, what am I going to write in our next monthly prayer letter? Hey, please send more money so I can fix the hole that I punched in the wall. I mean, just a tremendous amount of shame. And, and just like, what in the world? How, and, and it was obvious the Holy Spirit was like, Doug, you got an anger issue. And we're going to deal with this. And, and so through that time and through subsequent times of the, the power of God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit and mentors that came alongside and, and learning about myself and, and what got me to that point were all things that God began to use to set me free. Now, I dare not say that that could never happen again. You know why? Because I know it's part of my flesh. And I know that it's deep down now. I know that it, it would take a lot to bring it to that point. If I stopped walking, if I stopped being in God's word, if I stopped confessing, if I stopped getting, you know, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, if I stopped those things, I know that over time, eventually we, I would be back to there. And that kind of uncontrolled anger and that kind of frustration and those kinds of things could definitely come back, which makes me just understand, you know, as I look back at it, I go, what was the core of this? And in the core, I know, and it was revealed, is just pride. It's just my own pride. Now, you've heard me say many times that we are more sinful than we could ever dare imagine, but we're more loved than we could ever dare hope. 
And when I talk about the fact that we're more sinful than we could ever imagine, I'm thinking, God, I did not know. I mean, I knew I had pride, but I didn't know how deep it went in my life. I didn't know how deep the pilings of that were in my heart. And it seems like the closer I get to you, the more I realize just how deep it goes. And, and, and it's, it's, it's just like, it, it draws me to you because I'm like, how in the world? It, James understood it. When James was writing to the, the believing Jews who were dispersed amongst the people, he wrote to them and said, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's the same thing that was happening in Corinth. In, in chapter 4 of Corinth, we see, and we're going to unpack this morning, Paul identifies at the core of the church, and this is the last section that we really deal with the divisions that were happening in the church, but what he's trying to tell them, look, the, the, bottom line, the, the bottom line of the divisions of what's going on in the church and the reason that you're liking one person over another person is because of pride. The, the core of it is pride. And what's happening then with that is that you're making quick judgments of other people. You're judging me really quickly. It's puffing you up. You think you can add to the gospel. So you're boasting about your very gifts, thinking that somehow you're the one that got them. And that somehow they're yours, and, and, and aren't, aren't I better than someone else because I have this gift? And, and Paul even identifies and says, some of you are arrogant. Now, arrogance is just unmasked pride. Arrogance is pride with no filter on it. And we all, we all, we've all seen that. Like, Gosh, they're arrogant. You know, and it's just like because they're not hiding it, you know. But we're just as prideful, but we're just hiding it a little better. Remember, this is a pastoral letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And so in it, there, there's a little bit of sarcasm in this chapter. In verse 4 and verse 8, he says, You think you already have everything you need. You think you're already rich. You think you've begun to be in God's kingdom without us. It's got, some, it's got some parental care in it. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to honor, honor, admonish you as my beloved children. It's got some firmness to it. Shall I come to you with a rod, with love and a spirit, or in a spiritual gentleness? See, Paul's their spiritual father. He's the one that brought the gospel to them. They came to Christ because of him. And he knew that the reason this is going on is because he knew the root of where it was happening. You know, as our kids were growing up and with a household of all girls, you know, it was like a herd of cats. And so there would be times when there would be some arguments that would get going. And it, and it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be over much. It would just be your normal arguments that would happen among sisters. And, and they would be going at it. And, and it would really bother me. And, and I'm like, Susan, why is this bothering me so much? And, and, and a lot of times I would be like the dog coming in trying to break it up. going, roo, 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 You know, and the cats would scatter. You know, and, and, but it didn't solve anything, you know. It just, it just got them apart from one another. But they would be arguing. And, and, and the reason why it was bothering me so much was because it reminded me of myself. And I was like, I know why you're arguing so bad is because of your own pride. And it's not worth it. You inherited that from me. And I am sorry. But this is not. This is not worth defending. And Paul knew it because Paul, before he came to Christ, he was arrogant. 
Until Christ got a hold of them on a Damascus road, and, and Paul implores them to do something. He says, I want it, that's something that's going to really help them not only in this division area, but in all areas of the church. He says, I urge you to be imitators of me. Now, the urge there is obviously this is more than just a, hey, I suggest this, or this would be a good idea, or here's a self-help that will help you with your anger. He says, no, I, I urge you, I implore you. And notice this is imitators. This isn't just the, the NIV leaves this off and makes it seem singular, but this is plural. It is not just be an imitator of me. It is be imitators of me. It's for everybody. It's not just for the leaders. It's for everybody. Be imitators of me. In what? In what way? Well, when Paul wrote the church at Philippi, here's what he said. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's the common denominator here? Well, what is it with this? I think it's humility. There's a, there's a humility that comes. In other words, you got to go low. If you really want to accomplish and see what God can do, you got to go low. And what I mean by that is, is humility. Humility comes in the heart. Is it any wonder that when we talk about this revival at Asbury, one of the hallmarks of it is just a humility. There is nobody there that is going, oh God, it's really good that I'm on your team. Oh God, I have nothing that I need to confess. It's everybody else that's the problem. You don't get any of that. You get, you get contriteness, you get humility of the heart, you're getting, oh God, before you, I got nothing. Now this goes against everything that was in the Corinthian culture. And it really goes against everything in our culture. I mean, for the Greeks, Humility was a characteristic of, the, of a despicable trait of the slaves. This was not something that was for a characteristic of a great man or woman. So you can just imagine. They're not saying, hey, you want to be great, you got to go low. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He was bringing the exact opposite in. And so Paul says, look, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to stand before you. It's this great order. Go, hey, you got to be like me. Paul's going, no, you got to be like me, but you got to go low. And the number one thing that stands in the way on that is just our pride. It's the pride of our heart that comes in. So what is it that helps us go low? I mean, you don't just get humility. I mean, of all the books that there have been written in Christianity on all kinds of subjects, you will never see one that says humility and how I attained it. Right? Because I mean, that would be rather arrogant. Why? Because it just doesn't, it only happens, humility really is a fruit of someone who has gone deeper and understands the deep love of God and is experiencing that deep love of God. At the center of Paul's statement in verse uh, 6 of this chapter, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Interesting. He says, don't go beyond what was written. Well, what's that? Because well, he says the result of that is because if you do, you're going to get puffed up. 
And you're going to begin to follow other people or, or others and say, I like them, I don't like them, I'll do all these different things. He says, so what is it that go beyond what is written? Well, what has Paul said over and over and over again in these first three chapters? He said, it's the word of the cross. It's, it's Christ crucified. I bring you nothing but the message of Christ and what Christ has done. I'm bringing you a message of God's great love for you on the cross. I'm telling you about his great power for you in the resurrection. What is that? That's the gospel. Paul's going, look, don't go beyond the gospel. In other words, keep it. Don't try to add to it. Don't try to add your own things to it and go, well, yeah, we got the gospel, but we moved beyond the gospel, and now you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do all these things. He said, don't add to that. That just leads to pride. He said, what you want to do is you want to don't add to it and keep it simple. Keep it simple. Christ was crucified. You and I are sinful people. We need help. We need a Savior. And, and, and we need to grow in understanding and grow deeper in that and understand the ramifications of what that gospel is. And when you understand the gospel and you go deeper in the gospel, the natural thing that will come out of that is a humility. People who truly understand the gospel and all of its ramifications of it and are going deeper in the gospel are not prideful people. Because the gospel very much in it is humbling. And what is it about this? As I was looking at this, you know, wrestling with this passage this week, I was like, well, how does this gospel truth promote it? Well, there's certain things, I think, that Paul says in here that help us. He says, and, and the first one is to be a servant. As, you, as you, a person understands the gospel serves. This is the legs of the gospel, really, is servanthood. He starts off and says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, a servant is an underling. It's not someone who, you know, is up there at the top. I mean, humility really serves. And, and, and when you serve, you got to go low. And what's interesting here is Paul doesn't say, here, we have come to serve Christ because Christ himself said, I didn't come to serve, right? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so when Christ is in you, guess what you'll want to do? You'll want to serve other people. Servants don't lord it over other people. Servants just come in and go, how can I help? What can I do? How can I advance the kingdom of God in your world? The gospel also reminds us that Christ took the judgment that we deserve. Therefore, the judgments of other people fall along the wayside. Notice what he says. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I did not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring it to light, what is hidden in darkness. Isn't that interesting? The very thing that we're talking about this morning, he will bring what's hidden in darkness who will expose the motives of the heart. And, and, and at that point, I would think we would be ready to hear, because you're going to be in trouble. But notice what he says. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Why? Because Christ took on the full punishment for it. Right at the moment when you're thinking, you're going to get toast... Because everything, now, out of all of us, when we sit here and we go, everything in our life that has been hidden will be brought to light. I don't know about you, but I'm going, whoa. 
And I'm thinking, that's going to result in condemnation. And he goes, no, that results in commendation. Why? Because I took it all. Which then results in what? Oh, God, why would you do that? And instead of our pride, it, it results in humility. The gospel, what the gospel tells us as we go deeper in the gospel, what the gospel tells us is that first, we are a sinner. And second, we have been sinned against. That is really good to remember when someone sins against you and you want to take retribution on them. Remember, first, you are a sinner. Secondly, you have been sinned against. Doesn't justify the sin that you've been against, but recognizing that first, you are a sinner changes the total opposite way that you'll respond to someone who has sinned against you. And instead of condemnation you will come with grace. Once again, there's a humble response to others that gets a result. Another one that we see in here, bedded here, is the gospel reminds us that everything we have is from him. No, it says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? Well, Paul is, is going on here, look, guys, the 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 basis of this, when you go deeper in the gospel, you're going to realize everything you have is from Christ. You didn't choose, we, we didn't choose him, he chose us, John 15. We didn't love him, he loved us first. You responded to his initiation to you, so how can you be prideful about it? How can you walk around going, yeah, I did this, I finally decided that I was going to do this. And he goes, you didn't. He drew you to him. And Paul says, that's, that's humbling. That, that makes one want to go low. You know, Susan and I were uh, able to celebrate the life of a, a friend of ours who was with Family Life, and she was one of the founding families of Fellowship Northwest up in Fayetteville, and she passed away a few weeks ago. Um, she was in her 80s, had a stroke, and then went home to be with the Lord and we were able to watch, we couldn't get there, but we were able to watch the live stream of the memorial service. And as we watched their kids each give a tribute to their mom, it was the second born son that really just hit me. It just, it just ministered to me and it spoke a lot to me because you could tell from the way that he was describing himself that in the family he was probably the more prodigal son type. You know, in every family, you have those who have stuck pretty close to the family, maybe haven't done too much, and, and they think God owes them something, maybe because they've been good. You know, and then there's, some, there's others that have kind of gone out and just kind of let their flesh go and, and do different things. You could just tell that he had, he'd had a rough life, and he'd been out there, and he'd done everything. And what was amazing to me is he continued to just respond. He said, you know, I told my friends growing up that I would get a spanking about every day. And they were like, that's abuse. I am so sorry. He goes, no, that was the grace of God, he said, because I deserved three. <laughs> and, 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 he, and as he was continuing to talk on about it, he just kept saying these repeated phrases. I am so thankful God gave me a mom like Anne, and I am so undeserving. I am so thankful that he's given me a mom like her, and I am so undeserving. 
And he said it again. I am so thankful that God gave me a mom like that. And I'm telling you, I just don't deserve it. And it just ministered to me because it hit me, you know. There was a humbleness and a gentleness to him that just realized that anything that he has gotten, he hasn't deserved. And there's a freshness to that. Like, God, I, I, I got nothing and I deserve nothing, but you've given me everything. And I am so thankful. And that shapes the way I talk to others, the way I treat others. But I think there's another one, and this is a big one, because I think the gospel deepens our identity in Christ. The deeper you go in the gospel, the more you understand that your identity does come from him and not the other things in our world. Notice what he says is, we're fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. We're honored, but you're dishonored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this very point. This isn't a woe is me from Paul. Paul is stating this as if it's a badge of honor. He said, because it's, he increases and I, I decrease. And he sees basically Paul saying, look, if identifying with Christ makes me a fool in your eyes, so be it. If identifying with Christ leads me to mistreatment and suffering, so be it. Because I am Christ's beloved child, deeply loved in spite of my deep flaws, and that makes all the difference. And so as Paul takes this church, a church that he loves, but a church that he also sees has a ton of conflict in it and a ton of pride, he looks at it as a father and says, come on, people, look, the core of this is pride. Forsake your pride, grow deeper in the gospel, and you will find that humility will be a result. It's humbling to come before the Lord and confess sin. It's, it's humbling to come and repent, but we need to. When's the last time you just physically got on your knees? That should be a regular occurrence, not because there's anything magical in it, but because it's a posture that says, you are God, I am not. You call the shots, I don't. And I come before you, and I confess to you, and I repent. My, my pride is not worth justifying. I love this quote by J.D. Greer. He says, The gospel has done its work in us when we crave God more than we crave everything else in life. That's what Paul wants to take us. Let's take it home. Worship team, you, you can come back up. For pride to flourish, you know, in our lives and in the church, the gospel has to be ignored. It has to be ignored. We, and, and it's a statement that I want to move beyond the gospel. But the very nature of the gospel is the beauty of God on display, his sacrificial love toward us uh, who don't deserve it. And it makes me want to go deeper, which makes me want to go low. 
Is it any wonder then that the hallmark of any revival, of any awakening, is a humility of the heart and a confession of sin? Look, I know that this morning, uh, I, I pray that what we were able to do this morning would not just leave you, but that you would take it with you and that you would continue to be, just ask, continue to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything? And that you would keep a regular short accounts with God so that there is nothing that can hinder his full power of what he wants to do in your life. I tell my girls all the time, look, don't be, don't be surprised that you sin. We're sinful people. So don't be shocked by it. Don't be shocked by it. But just take it to the Lord and bring it to him, to this graceful father, and then, but never let it take root. Don't be shocked by it, but don't let it take root either. Take care of it. Keep short accounts. And the Spirit of God will move in ways in your life that you have never seen before. Let's stand and sing the last song and all God's people said amen to that we have the Lord's table up front we're going to come and you can partake uh, you know what to do from here go love first and if you would like prayer we'll have up with people up here the elders or wives uh, to pray with you if, if the spirit continues to stir so let the spirit invade and may he do new things in each of our lives thanks for coming